Today is Tuesday, February 20th, and you're listening to the Beer Temple Podcast. Podcast. I'm your co-host Mike Schlau of Is Was Brewing, and I'm here with your other co-host Chris Quinn of the Beer Temple. Chris, they probably how thought are you? it was Surge, producer Surge. From I, the I way I faded perfectly. I wasn't in. even going to tell anyone. They're going to have to. You have to figure out who that That's was. True. It might have been Surge, or it could have been such a good fade. It wasn't. You yeah, know it wasn't fade. I've yet to not screw it up in some way or another when Surge isn't here. Uh, sometimes I, I wait to the last couple seconds of the show. Mm-hmm. That's that's usually where the screw up happens. Yeah, you get to the goal line and you just fumble. You start showboating. Yeah, exactly. They knock it out of your hand. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's so. I'm not gonna. You know, I'm not gonna celebrate yet. I'll save that till there's ten seconds left. And right. Then, <laughs> then we'll then fumble. All the, the wheels will come off. Yes. <laughs> the mixed metaphors. So um, we have a a special episode. Mm-hmm. Very one, special episode. One that we've been. Has been in the works for one way or another <laughs> for at least an hour heads yeah. for years. For years yeah. And then we rescheduled it, but now the time the time has come. Nice. We're doing our is it our third installment of the of the book club? Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's um I think as I had mentioned before, my favorite beer book. See how I like to butter up <laughs> butter up the uh the guest. Um it's Hops and Glory, One Man's Search for the Beer that Built the British Empire. And we are fortunate to have with us, via Zoom, uh, the author, Mr. Pete Brown. What's up, Pete? How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Yeah. How are you? Doing good. It's uh, decent weather now mm-hmm. in Chicago. Sorry. Yeah, I think... Well, that's, the... uh, you've got to be thankful for that in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I know. I think they... They say that the cold weather is behind us now, so... Never never believe them. Right. I mean, we certainly could get uh, a snowy April, sure. but we'll see. Fingers crossed. Yeah, but I'm doing well. And and you? Hope. Yeah, very good. I'm uh, enjoying a new life living between London and the city of Norwich in um, eastern England. Okay. Uh, having, having just uh, sold our London house and... Uh, cashed in and moved moved out to the sticks yeah uh, but it's out of the sticks that is a has got an awesome beer reputation that very few people know about okay like uh clue and i'd heard a little bit about the about the move um I, I think as you wrote about it on uh on, online um but but tell me about norwich and, and its beer scene what, what's up what's going on there yeah, it's a funny. So, so there's a bit of there's a bit of England that sticks out into the North Sea. It's mm-hmm. like a like a big like a big beer belly shaped yeah. shaped protrusion uh, on the east coast of England. Uh, and Norwich was once um, the second most important city in uh, in England uh, after London. Um, and it's because it used to be very popular for textiles that kind of thing. And then 
it's quite a common thing. The river's silted up. Um, river traffic, sea traffic kind of dried out uh, and it became very poor. And after that, so several centuries after that, it became a little bit of a, an object of ridicule. We have a uh, a comedian called Steve Coogan who plays a fictional oh, yeah. TV host called Alan Partridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the fictitious world of Alan Partridge, he's based in Norwich. Ah. And he's, and he's kind of made the whole place a national joke. And so it, it reminds me a little bit of uh, the first few times I went to Belgium and people say, isn't Belgium a really boring country with nothing going for it? And you're like, yeah, you're right. Don't go there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. You should just save, save more of it for the rest of us. Right. And Norwich is kind of like that. It's about an hour and a half out of London. Um, it's a walkable city. It's a medieval city. It's a very beautiful city. And without realising it, I bought a house... Uh, the, the, the zip code where I live is starts with NR3. And without realising it, I bought a house at the end of the NR3 beer mile. Wow. So I have a 20-minute walk into the middle of the city past 10 of the most awesome pubs I've ever seen in my life. Oh, nice. Um, nice. So I'm happy. Good job. Good. Well how, done. How is... Uh, so I'm, I'm headed out to London in about, uh, well, it, uh, exactly a month. Um a friend of mine, who I believe you know at um, uh, Goose Island, uh, Mike Siegel, is uh, headed. Uh, yes. yes, he's headed up with Ron uh, Pattinson to Burton, uh, and he and I have been trying to do a a time to get to to London together and do do some pub crawling there. Um, and yeah, I'm curious what what's the state of uh, of of British pubs right now. Um, they, they, it feels like they've been going through the ringer for a long time. Um, British craft brewing is struggling, um, but not by as much as people think. You, you know, when you have a scene like this, it's like, oh, the, the, the beer boom is over. Uh, yeah. You know, all the, all the brewers are closing. Uh, and yet yeah, some are closing, but um, we're, we're down 1% year on year on the number of brewers that we have. So, given the circumstances, that's not too bad. Yeah, pubs have really suffered, obviously, as you would expect from COVID. Um, but I've just been literally today. I've, I've just been judging the uh, the the Ciba Business Awards, and Ciba is our version of the, of the you know the, the Brewers Association. Um, so it's uh, about seventeen hundred small brewers or members. And every now and again, it's important to do something like that because you hear these success stories and you go, okay, times are hard, but but there's a lot of people doing really great things. There's still a lot of people who want to drink beer. Uh, there's still a lot of people who want to serve it. There's still some incredibly talented people in the industry. And we're losing some pubs and we're even losing some good pubs. Um, but we're, but my where I've moved to in Norwich, um, you know, the traditional British Pub meal is the Sunday roast, Sunday Sunday lunchtime, uh, and it's taken me three months. But two days ago, I managed to get into my local pub uh, oh. for Sunday lunch. Oh, that's I mean it that's a good three sign. Three months. That's a good to get problem. A Sunday lunchtime reservation. Yeah, well, good for so, them. So some pubs are doing just fine. Yeah, I think it, it kind of mirrors what's going on here. I mean, even in down markets and doom and gloom, there are plenty of individual success stories and people who are. Yeah thriving at the moment and and stuff like that but yeah it does seem like whenever we hear what's going on here in the states whenever i get just a little like sprinkling of of news about the uk it always seems like 
exceptionally dire. So it's good to hear that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I know like, you know, that that bad press kind of gets clicks and stuff like that. But it sounds like it's probably tracking to to what's happening here, which isn't necessarily good. But it's not like, um, you know, if you ever want to have real ale, you better get there this summer because it's going to be all gone. You know, stuff like that. Yeah, there's an interesting thing that's happening there because um, it doesn't make sense. Um, the, the figures, the headline figures for real ale are awful. I mean, it's down 25% since pre-COVID, and that was down 25% right. on the previous decade. So so we now have half the real ale that we had 10 years ago. Um, but if you speak to the small brewers, they're going, no, we're fine. We're fine. Um, you've got a lot of guys who uh, set up new breweries to brew American-style craft beer who are moving into real ale for the first time because they feel that they need to. And one of my local brewers, Duration, they they've got an American head brewer, and it took him a lot of persuading to do to do Cascale. He did his first one, and then when the business said, "Okay, we'll we'll brew this, we'll brew Cascale every month," they sold out the next three months of Real Hell before they'd even brewed it. Wow, you know, wow. just it's like, okay, the stuff you're doing in three months' time, I want to buy that. So, so and and the people who are losing are the breweries who have been bought by. The, the big global, and yeah. I know it sounds like a familiar story, and I, 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 I don't say these things without having checked the figures first, but but the the people who are losing are, are the real ale brewers who've been bought by the big multinationals, mm-hmm. and they, these guys don't understand real ale. They don't care about real ale. They don't ale. care about it. They don't care to understand. I think is what it sounds like. No, yeah. that's it. You know, AB and Bev own Bass. And AB and Bev could not give a crap about Bass. No, they, 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 they won't sell it to anyone else because they're danger. They're, they're, they're paranoid that someone else might make a success out of it, so they won't let go of it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, they have no interest in, in promoting it. It's something like thirty thousand hectoliters now. And this is a this is a brand that used to sell over a million million barrels in the UK. You know? Right, right. Um, and it's, and it's, so yeah. those brands are hemorrhaging volume. Um, uh, but uh, certainly in, in another one of my local pubs, I've got a lot of them, um, a load of these really cool uh, American-style craft brands are all launching their cask beers, and they are flying out of the place. Good. Good. Hey, I mean... Um, so there'll still be some here when you get here. Good, good. That's what There, there better be. I'm Might not be any left you. after you leave. You can drink all Oh. Of definitely in Burton-on-Trent. Yeah. Do, do you know the Cooper's Tavern in Burton-on-Trent? Have you heard of... Uh, well, I won't be... I won't be... Uh, I won't be oh, there. I have here. been to Burton uh, on Trent. I have been to Cooper's. I, I'm guessing it was perhaps after you you wrote about it in the book. Yeah, right? it's in the book. You have yeah. a curry at Cooper's. Yeah, I, I believe uh, I believe I went to Cooper's. Oh yeah, and and then I uh, I went to Cooper's and then we went and got curry next door. And that's the place I believe. Is that the place that has the bench where the old brewers used to sit? Mm-hmm. Is that the uh, one? Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, they were there. Master brewer. Yeah, there were some old timers sitting there up there, uh, and we got beer to go, and they literally put it in um, to go like takeout. Uh, like Chinese food cartons. They put the beer in the Chinese. Yes. They poured it. They poured it right into a pint <laughs> with the little metal handle and Sir, everything. English, like, an English growler. Yeah, not not modified in any way for the people <laughs> listening. They just literally put it into one of like the pint ones they give you for like fried rice or white they rice. Put a or nice something. fluffy foam on top of it, like a 
Yeah. The, mean, slow pour, the slow pour. Yeah, your, so we your... got like three of them, three or four pints, went next door or, you know, around the corner and, uh, yeah, had had great Indian food and some, some cask ale and it was uh, very memorable. Uh, and if I am ever in that area, I will. I mean, that's awesome. what I would, yeah. And I got to see, I don't, you know, I, I obviously we're, we're here to talk about the book, but I think Burton is, is definitely part of that. Um, and man, sad news about the, uh, the union being decommissioned by, uh, yeah. by Carlsberg. And I was talking to somebody about this, uh, cause I'm a weirdo and I talk about this stuff. I was talking about it, um, uh, at the dentist. Yeah. Doctor. When was I talking? I was talking about it Friday night with a guy, um, from, uh, from Yorkshire who lives in Chicago now. And, um, what, what? What pissed me off, one, that it was like not even kept around as like a showpiece, but also they didn't care enough about it to even have a commemorative last brew and like have people come out. I'm sure people all over the UK, some people would have cared. And and to a greater extent, people all over the world. I mean, I would have seriously considered going back out there to see the last brew Mm -hmm. on the Burton Union. And it just goes to show um uh as you said earlier pete they don't care to even learn about it it was just like boom it's just gone and uh oh well yeah, yeah. but anyway and for me that's like you know when we when we're in this business when we're in this role when we're in this kind of position you um you know, you, you care about stuff and you agitate for stuff and you campaign about stuff and you feel angry when this happens and you feel uh, sort of happy when that happens. When I heard that news, it, it transcended for me what I feel as a beer writing professional. I felt genuinely emotionally heartbroken mm. on, a, on, a, on a personal level. Uh, I just felt something had been taken from me. I felt bereaved. Wow. That's 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 the word I'm looking yeah. for. Because it was just I've been there so many times. Uh, I can't claim to have brewed a beer on the unions because uh, it was always too special to allow an idiot like me to right, do right. that. Um, but I've watched it in action so many times and written so many words about it. Um, and and I've heard people say to me, you know. Without the Burton Unions, there is no master's pedigree. Um, it takes its entire character from that system. And then now they say, actually, it makes no difference at all. Of course. So of course we, I'll say that. We, we, the, the beer won't lose anything if we if we stop brewing it like that. And I get that it's a very expensive system. Um, but in, in my book, Miracle Brew, I wrote about the fact that you know back then, six years ago, it was like people said, "Oh yeah, Masters are not a craft, proper craft brewer because because they're they're kind of fairly big in corporate and this kind of stuff." And I said, "Look at the way the unions work. Look at how much right. it costs to put beer through them. Look at look at how archaic this system is. Yeah. This brewery is one of the greatest craft breweries in the world. I agree because they do this. I couldn't agree more. Going, yeah, nah, we're not doing it anymore. I I couldn't agree more. It's it's kind of losing the forest for the trees and not understanding like what is what like being There's, a craft brewery is. There are things that are valuable beyond shareholder value. There's the tradition, or, or even it. like There's you know a small history. brewery using cylindriconical, uh, you know, stainless steel, doing the same thing that that everybody does and brewing the same type of you know beers that every other craft brewery is doing is is less special mm-hmm. than than marston's by by tons because sure. you know what i passed when i was visiting burton uh 
I went to UK just to go to Burton, and then everything else kind of fell in around it. And um, that's when I met uh, you for the very first time, Pete. We uh, yeah. at was it Eustace, the Eustace Tap, or, or Euston, Euston Tap? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's uh, the station in London where you get the train up. Yeah, to yeah. To that that was a really yeah. cool place. Um, but uh, I passed many craft breweries on my way to make sure I went to uh, Marston's and to go to Burton. And, um, yeah, I was, I'm sure just to a, a fraction, uh, of the degree that you were, but I think it, it, it says something that it reverberates as far away as Chicago. When I got that news, um, yeah, I sent it to several people, shared it here with everybody who works here. And we were all just like, ah, yeah. man, that's cause you know, it's, you know, it was the last of the Mohicans, you know, it was, it was the last. Yeah. So anyway, not to start on, on a downbeat, but <laughs> listeners of the show know that, you know, we can be buzzkills. Let's talk about something that's still alive and well. Yeah. Tall ships. <laughs> the tall ships. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, it, the future is in sale. I can see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, I, I was kind of thinking before about this book, Hops and, and Glory, and... <laughs> I'll let you give, um, well, why don't we start there? Why don't you give just an overview of, of what this book uh, is for the people out there who haven't, who haven't read it? I'm assuming there's at least yeah, one. So, 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 so this book was kind of born in 2006. And yeah, that's a terrifying thing to say now because that to me was yesterday. Uh, <laughs> I was a young beer writer. Um, and, uh, and American IPA was new and exciting. Um, and, and it was, and it was based on a British brewing tradition at that time. A lot of IPA labels had pictures of tall ships on the labels and every single one on the back of the label said, this beer is based on the beer that went to India to satisfy the thirsty troops of the British empire. It changed on the on its six month sea journey and acquired a unique and special character by the time it arrived in India, and this is an authentic recreation of that beer. And I and I just start going. You've you've just contradicted yourself. Um, <laughs> this this beer acquired its special character from a six month sea journey, and you're saying this is an authentic recreation of that beer, right? That, that hasn't been on a six month sea sea journey. And and that was kind of nagging away in the back of my mind. And it was like I said, I was a young beer writer. I just won my first award for the British Guild of Beer Writers for a travel book that yeah. I wrote, mm-hmm. uh, Three Sheets of the Wind. And I, 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 I talk around this rather than just repeat what's in the book. At the time, there there was a genre, a kind of subgenre in because I've I've always tried to write not as a beer writer, but as a mainstream writer who writes about beer. Um, so I write for a mainstream audience. Uh, if, if beer, I, if, if beer geeks like it, that's a bonus, but I'm trying to try to spread, spread beer to a mainstream audience. And there was a genre within that, which was blokey travel books. And, uh, okay. there were a, a lot of books at the time started off with a, uh, a guy called, uh, Tony Hawks, who wrote a book called round Island with a fridge. And uh, according to the book, there was a, a bet that he made with a friend in a pub that he wouldn't walk around the entire coast of Ireland with a fridge, a refrigerator. Okay, so yeah. He, so he did. So he did, and he wrote a book about it. And that book sold half a million copies. 
So I thought, I read that book, I thought, I'm a better writer than he is. I've got a better concept than he is. Than his. Right. I'll, I'll sell three million books. And, and I didn't, because by the time I got round to it, a hundred thousand British men had written books that started with a bet in a pub that they wouldn't do some stupid travel thing. And and the unique thing about Hops and Glory is I didn't make that story up to justify writing the book. It really did start <laughs> with a drunken conversation in a pub, mm-hmm. unlike all those other ones that claimed that they did. So I'd won this travel prize, and my mate Chris, my best friend, was saying, you know... Because uh, a lot of people are saying, what are you going to spend the prize winnings on? What, where are you going to go? And I'm like, no, I, I got the money for the travel book that I've already written <laughs> that cost that cost me £20,000. Right. I, I wasn't given the prize money to do more travel. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> that, 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 the prize money is £1,000 that I can pay off my credit card bill. And I was like, no, no, you've won the travel prize. You've got to do more travel. Uh, and Chris was like, well, you should do a, you should do a proper epic beer journey. Um, where, where instead of just kind of getting on planes and dotting around the place, you, you do a proper odyssey. And I said, well, yeah, the problem with that is beer never travelled well. Um, and so there aren't any really big international beer journeys. And then I went, oh, shit. Right, right. <laughs> the elephant, the Indian yeah, elephant in the room. Like, oh, yeah. oh, no. Oh, no. Because I remembered the IPA journey. And in the moment I remembered it, I thought, I'm doing this. I have to do this. Mm-hmm. There's no argument. And I, I didn't want to do it. I, I I hadn't, I was not an experienced traveler at that point. Uh, I knew that it was going to be a very difficult thing to do. But I said, I need to recreate the journey of India Pale Ale from Burton-on-Trent to Calcutta via the Atlantic Ocean, around the Cape of Good Hope. Right. Uh, Which is a key Indian part, Ocean. you know, no Suez Canal. Yeah. yeah. And I, I and I, I was lost to the idea. I've never been possessed by something before or since. It, 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 in in one second, it became an obsession that, that I had to do this. That I had to recreate the journey by sea. As you said, the Suez Canal opened in 1869. Um, uh, steamers came in to replace sail, and the journey from uh, England to India went from six months to three weeks. Mm. So, so I was doing this journey for the first time since 1869, when, when, when Suez opened. Uh, and I thought, well, I'll do that. And at the same time, I will explore the the broader cultural history of India Parallel, because everyone says, oh, yeah, it, it went to satisfy the, the, the civilians and the troops stationed in India. And I'm going, why why did we export it? You know, it's so difficult. Why didn't we just brew it there? Mm-hmm. Why were the English in India in the first place? Why did they want to drink beer? Why was that so important? Mm-hmm. And so without knowing the answers to them, this is where I love to start any book, is asking those kind of questions where I have no idea what the answers are and, and then going out to try and find those answers. Yeah. Uh, and uh, as you mentioned, um, the the book kind of like floats back and forth between your personal journey and kind of the history of these journeys and and even, you know, how why the journey happened and, and just kind of the precursor to it. And um, it's, it, it's a fascinating, uh, both sides of it are, are, are fascinating. And it's, it's funny, um, just in, in your kind of intro of the book, you hit on a lot of the questions that I wanted to, to talk to you about because one of the things I, w- I wanted to ask you 
was, do you consider Hops and Glory a beer book? Because I'm not sure how I feel about it as a beer book. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, it's, that's a thorny question because uh, one thing that really pisses me off about it is because the book has personal journey in it, because it's funny in places, because mm-hmm. it's got travel and this kind of thing, a lot of people don't consider it a beer book. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of websites where you read the history of IPA, and I, I, I damn well found out an awful lot about the history of IPA. Yours is the best history of IPA history. I've ever oh, read. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, by far. Yeah. And and, and it wasn't take time. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's not a proper beer book it, it's not it's not sort of something because it has a narrative flow it was considered by a lot of people not serious enough to be mm-hmm. a beer book mm-hmm. uh and, and actually there's a lot of new detail in there that that no one else had ever because I, I was in calcutta in the archives of the calcutta gazette reading the newspapers from the 1780s i, I was in the british library reading the the archives of the East India Company minutes finding that Burton Burton Pale Ale was in India uh, seventy years before yeah. anyone had previously said that it had been. Um, so there's a lot of real beer history in there, but I think we want our beer history served cold. We, we we don't we don't want it with frivolity. We don't want it with engagement. And to me, that's what beer is all about. Mm-hmm. So I made a very uh, deliberate decision to 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 wear the history and the knowledge very lightly. Uh, and and make it readable, uh, so 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 it's not like a it's not like a book which would, um, if you say I want to read the official history of India Pale Ale, it's not that book because it's not got every single fact mm-hmm. sort of uh, related in order, but it's a very readable story that I would hope the reader gains a lot of knowledge from, mm-hmm. and then goes, oh, I've just learned an awful lot without actually realizing that that I was learning. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's so much humanity in it too, which I think is uh, lacking a lot of those like histories of this style. It's just like here's a bunch of facts and timeline of what happened with this, but there's so much of how you're feeling while you're doing it, uh, what's going on around you, how the crew and like is is behaving. That I think enriches the actual story of what India Pale Ale is by making it human, because ultimately it is like a human story. It's and not. I'll go a step further. There's a lot of humanity in the historic parts too. I think yeah, you spend absolutely. a lot of time Ooh. humanizing yes. these characters. Um, and yeah, you know, by the end, you know, which ones you feel are rapscallions and which ones were, you know, yes. hardened businessmen and which ones were profiteers and, and, um, and it, it really kind of brings that to, to life, which is when history becomes the most interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, I think my wife has read, uh, one beer book ever in her entire life and it's this one. And she loved it. So it's um, it's interesting. Like, is it a beer book? Uh, I I would be like, yes, but you should read it anyway. Wait, don't don't no turn back around. Come back, come back. It's it's like it's, this, this it's was one the, of those. this was the first book when um, you see it, it won me it won me beer writers of the year for the first time. Um, Congratulations! That flex for the first time. Order. Yeah. I, I got some radio exposure in the UK and and, and this kind of stuff. And it was the first book where friends and relatives who were not interested in beer, it was my, it was my third book about beer overall, 
Um, and it was the first one where friends and relatives came up to me afterwards and said, I read that book. It was really good. It was really interesting. Right. And I said, okay, now say that again without the surprising you. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, because it was, it's kind of like, and I, I don't know, there's a, there's a guy who's, who's, who's now a, a really good friend of mine uh, who, who read some of my books. He's a, he's a cheesemonger, a guy called Ned Palmer. Uh, and he read some of my books and said, I work in cheese. I want to write the way Pete writes about beer, and I want to write a, a history of British cheese in that style. Mm-hmm. And he did, and he sold 10 times the number of <laughs> copies that I have ever sold. Damn. Because for some reason, you say, here's a kind of social history of cheese, and people go, oh, yeah, that would be really quite interesting because it's all about farms and landscape. Right. And, and people immediately got what a history of cheese would be. Whereas you talk about beer, it's like, oh, no, I'm not a beer nerd. Sorry, I'm, right. I'm not interested. Right. Uh, and, and there is that kind of, we have this weird thing. I don't know whether we've created it ourselves within the beer world. But you say to someone, here's a book about beer. And they think, oh, that's going to be very dry and technical. Um, and, you know, I better struggle with that. Yeah. No, I mean, I think it's a, a history of, of, I guess, uh, man, inter- politics and international commerce and your yeah. personal voyage and and um all that stuff which is far more interesting than having stuff kind of uh regurgitated uh about uh well the hopping rate went up in this year right. when Allsop did you know or so and so but no so um um that's why I wanted to ask I was just curious uh how you how you felt about it and it being considered um a beer book I mean it, it very much is yeah, it's a book with beer at its center where you learn a ton about yeah. b- beer. So I guess that's a beer book, but it's more just a nominally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, so it's a one. It's a book. There wouldn't be a lot left. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's true. That's a good point. Very true. <laughs> um, then there would be a boat book. Right. Exactly. There'd be a boat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So uh, there are so and then you. Th- there's one thing that I haven't told you is that uh, yeah so. You had, a, I don't think it's giving away too much of the book, but you had a, a recreation of a authentic uh, Burton IPA made. Uh, and I believe that was, was it White Shield that was brewed, Pete, uh, that you had? And Yes. Yeah. It, was, um, it, it, was, it was a murky time, yeah. Yeah. Um, so Bass had been bought by what is now Anna's Bush in Bev, but I was working with a brewer who'd worked for Bass, and I guess we can say this now because no one else will care. But he was he was working for Moles and Coors, and they had the rights to the Worthington brand, but not the Bass brand. So this guy was basically brewing heritage Bass beers, but just calling them Worthington beers. So it was so our beer was our beer was based on uh, a beer called Bass Continental. From the end of the nineteenth century, uh, but we we pretended it was a Worthington recipe. Okay, got it. Um, well, somebody who scoop. Well, someone who uh, read the book because of the show, uh, who's also a very accomplished home brewer, went out and found he he tried to find White Shield IPA and and found a recipe in Mitch Steele's IPA book. Oh wow! For mm. it uh, and. It, he finished it, but it hasn't yet. Uh, so he, he basically says, the beer's finished and now needs to be conditioned. I don't think I'll be able to put it in a ship's hold, but maybe a few 
tours up and down the Chicago River. So he brewed it, and that's what I have right here. Oh, wow. So we'll we'll have some of that. I think it's commemorative. I'm sure it's as authentic as, uh, more authentic probably than than, uh, any of the stuff that you had brewed, Pete. I mean, come on. (laughs) But I figured figured it's, uh, we might as well. And seems fitting. So thanks to Brad, who uh, a terrible pour there, but whatever. Uh, luckily, it's, it's your beer that I poured poorly. Not, not anymore. It's not. Oh, it's boy. Switcheroo. Okay. Well, hey, I like foam. <laughs> so here, cheers. Cheers. There you go. And thanks again to Brad. It, it looks the right Brad. color. It's a beautiful color. Yeah. It's nice. Bitter. Who would have thought? Um, <laughs> so uh, one of the... Uh, I don't know if it's one of the things about the book that I that I enjoyed, and I promise this won't be like the the Chris Farley show where I just say <laughs> things about the book and then say, hey, oh, that's awesome. Kind of our thing. Yeah, it is. Um, was how um, unromantic overall uh, you made your personal voyage um, seem um, it's like unromantic. Unromantic, absolutely. Mm. I think. I'm mean, now. There were moments of like romance, yeah. like you were here, you were there, you were in like Madeira, and obviously you were on a, a tall ship, mm-hmm. um, Brazil. But even then, uh, you know, in the day to day, it was uh, racked. It wasn't just about um, the romance of it, and I think you very easily could have faked it. And I think I've read some books a personal voyage books where people eh, seems to go a little too perfectly and the keep praying yeah. and loving baby yeah and like the the problems arise just a little too perfectly um and it is something where when i've done um you know even being like on this having done you know hundreds of episodes of the show it's something that i have thought back to where it's like just just tell it as it as it happened right. and the humanity of it will be much more uh interesting and when you said uh earlier and you also say it right in the beginning of your book it's it's like i know it sounds fake but this is literally how it happened and as that happens throughout the book and the unromantic things happen where you're like oh man i wish i wish that hadn't happened um just make it so much more uh i i, I don't know i was just very uh, I admired very much how you kind of stuck to what happened. And I was curious if you were ever, uh, was it ever in question? Mm. Like, did you ever think like, uh, maybe I'll, I'll leave this part out of it. Cause that's not, that's not what people, that's not what I told my publisher I was going to write, or that's not what people want to read. You know, um, there is a lot that did get left out of it. Um, my, my first draft, of the book was 180,000 words, okay. which, which I think is about double what the book wow. currently is. Um, the, the the best bit of management by an editor that I've ever had uh, was when I submitted the first draft, and my editor was like, um, he responded and said, Pete, I'm really loving the book. It's really interesting. Uh, so exciting. But I, I, I just want to say that I, 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 I picked up a book that's about a journey from Burton-on-Trent to India by sea, and I'm on page 256, and I'm still in a canal boat outside Burton-on-Trent. <laughs> right, right, exactly. A lot happened on that canal boat. 
Right. <laughs> so that gives you an idea of how much how much of that stuff was cut. Yeah. Um, so then there's a. Oh, I'm sorry. There, we did get a question from uh, somebody who read the book, um, and I think it's it's it, it's perfectly fitting because he he wrote. Uh, Pete mentioned the editing process in the acknowledgement. Is there a story that didn't make the book, or one that got short, cut short, that he wished would have been included or included at greater at greater length? Yeah, it's a great question because. At the time, I thought, yes, uh, a lot of stuff was getting cut out. Uh, and I was like, I don't want to lose any of this. This stuff is great stuff. It's great material. And my editor said, well, okay, but there's too much to go in the book. Maybe cut it out, put it in a separate document, keep it, and we can use that for articles, for blog posts, for other stuff to promote the book. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, cool, okay. And then six months later, we when we came to revisit the stuff, that had been cut to do that, in my head, none of it was good enough. Okay. Um, it had been cut for a reason. And, and going back to it, it was just like, yeah, it's a bit flabby. It's a bit too much my school essay on what I did in my holidays. So, right. so there was, so he, he was, he was a very, very clever editor in, in getting me to realize that uh, when we did it. Okay. Well, there you are. Perfect. So it's the it's the perfect length. That's yeah, the exact it right book. Exactly. <laughs> um, Agreed. Yeah. Um, all right. Then um, it it's it's funny going back uh, as so reading this uh, a second time now versus when I read it, which I think was within a year or two of it of it being published. Um, I don't know if you got this, uh, Mike, but. The beginning, uh, Pete talks about uh, the U.S. craft beer scene, <laughs> and it is so damn nostalgic it's, yeah, it's, and enjoyable. It's of like, you know, it was the best well, of times. Right. <laughs> you know, we really were doing it at one point. You know, <laughs> right? And how exciting it was to go there, and um, that was just a little, a little something that I thought was. Um, was fun just to just to remember as well. So in a way, it was it was written at a really or or published um, or or really both at a, at a really good time in in craft beer as well because I think the contemporary stuff was um, yeah it was just a, a, a great time of kind of an explosion of creativity and growth and mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But still kind of tethered to that at least in America tethered to that English tradition. What we've kind of gone nuts like the ip things we call ipas here now uh mm. would would not travel very well uh <laughs> yes. in in the, the bilge um or the the hull of a ship yeah um but it was really cool to to have you talk about like goose island and all these brecon or i think breckenridge was oh yes. yeah that, absolutely all these, all these hip new beers you were loving very much was yeah a- and i remember <clears throat> at the time um being in chicago and f- um and remembering like how good uh goose i goose ipa used to be yeah. um and being like yes that's right see he 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 gives that beer respect that's right like, that buys it by the case exactly yeah. um yeah that that's funny i just i don't really have a question there <laughs> you're just here you're just, i'm just saying this at you pete but, i apologize i'm not the best interviewer right. but, my observation my observation yeah. on that would be that um uh, well, two things really. The, the, the last edition of the BJCP guidelines that I read 
said that IPA no longer stands for Indie Pale Ale. Hmm. Okay, the what does KFC. it stand for? It doesn't stand for anything. I, IPA is now just an acronym divorced from any words that it represents. That says that in the BJCP now? Really? Yes. That's so this is like, uh, and, and that's because most IPAs now bear absolutely no resemblance to the beers that went to India. Right. So we can't call them Indie Pale Ales anymore. So the BJCP and their wisdom decided, okay, we're still going to call them IPAs, but IPA doesn't mean Indie Pale Ale. And that, for me, kind of tells you all you need to know. We're, we're through the looking um, glass. We're in I the, mean, we're in what the, we are in the heck? matrix. It's, uh... I mean, it can have nothing to do with the beers. It can taste nothing stylistically, have nothing to do stylistically with the beers uh, that went to India. But I, I, I think that at the time that those beers were probably added to the BJCP-style guidelines, that had already happened would be sure. my guess. Yeah, yeah. You know, dry hopped yeah. with Pacific Northwest hops, and and I mean, come on. Yeah, right. It's, it's I mean, you, you can you can guess. plot how it got there, and I understand how it got there. But when I see Sierra Nevada Pale Ale described as an English style Pale Ale, we <laughs> never had a beer that tasted like right. that before yeah, yeah. Sierra Nevada came <laughs> yeah. along. You know? Yeah, yeah. It, it revolutionized my taste buds, mm-hmm. and uh, you can see the through line. Like you know, yeah. but but it's not. In English style, if you put them next, put them next to each other Absolutely. now, people would be like, "I don't know, those are not related." But there no. is definitely a trajectory and through line for all of that. Yeah, especially as you see where it has, has stuff has gone. Right. Um, looking back, yeah. I think at the time, you know, if you were to drink it in the '80s or '90s, um, I think it would seem more dissimilar then than it does now, just because we're so wildly like beyond either not beyond but in a different direction uh either of those styles the the classic american pale ale i mean yeah it's it's the archetype of the american pale ale and it's called that because it's not an english pale ale right right no that's funny (laughs) um there's the the, the observation is that you know american ipa now is pretty much the opposite of ipa as i understand it right mm-hmm. um, so ipa was a beer that was specifically brewed to last for a long time mm-hmm. ipa now is no you have to drink it in three weeks and keep it fresh it otherwise is, it's ruined it's the most it, ephemeral it was a style beer that it? was had pronounced bitterness now it has no bitterness mm-hmm. um and, and and so it really has to turn into an inverted version of itself yeah, yeah. Um, perfect i mean this is great you're 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 leading to these questions so perfectly because somebody um uh, I have another question uh, about uh, somebody who read the book and said that they're intrigued by the comment from Professor Charlie Bamforth about the Anglo-Indian palate uh, and how it was centered on bitterness, which drove the aggressively hopped flavors. Where do you think this bitterness sits on the U.S. palate now with the shift towards sweeter IPAs, which you were just yeah. kind of mentioning? And, and I, think that, I think there's two things going on there. Uh, I think I think one is, and it, it does shock me. Just when you get a little bit older, it just shocked me how quickly time passes. Uh, if I go into craft beer bar now, people think I'm there to pick up my son or daughter. They, they, <laughs> yeah. they, they don't think I'm there as a craft beer drinker myself. And I'm not that bloody old, but you know, I am in craft beer terms. Uh, I meet brewers now who flatly refute the idea that IPA was ever anything other than hazy, pale, no. juicy. 
No, uh, for real? Like, like, honestly, they refute that? I, I, I've read articles that say craft beer started in 2010. You know, it's <laughs> it, it, it's 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 incredible. Uh, we, we, we've lost we've lost a generational interaction that we used to have when I was in, when I was in my twenties and thirties. I knew all about what yeah. the previous generation's popular culture would have been about. And one thing that social media has done is it's it's narrowed our perspective to so that we're all sitting much more inside our own generations yes. than, than, than than we were. Uh, and the other thing about that is, so this younger generation were brought up on much sweeter flavors than we were, um, uh, and so uh, that, that that's become very important. And also within craft beer, there's there it's become it, it's become driven by fashion. Mm. So uh, yeah, what do you mean in, by that? In my, in my recent memory, what happened was it's all about bitterness. It's about IBUs. So around 2008, 2009, it was like, well, I've got 80 IBUs. Well, I've got 90 IBUs. Well, right. I've got 100. And it gets to the point where you can't make the IBUs any higher. Right. So then the cabinet marketing guy comes out and goes, well, I've got zero IBUs. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's it, you know? Right. You the whole thing changes. Right, exactly. Uh, I, I do kind of wonder if it is a just natural kind of um, if it is just kind of a natural development as a drink gets more popular, um, it, it sounds like in there was a kind of like a um, at the very end of the book, you kind of talk about the domestic domestic to UK um, the, the, the the domestic kind of uh, uh, popularity of. IPA, um, mm. and I I hope I remember this part right because in keeping with uh, the the Pete Brown style of of honesty uh, in my reread, I think I only made it like seventy five percent of the, of the way through. But then I was remembering that part and I went back and was was skimming it. But it it sounds like the Burton. The the India Pale Ale kind of gave way to the uh, the Burton Pale Ale, and yes. right, and it didn't need to be as big and and massively strong and and stuff yeah. like that. Um, so it went kind of lighter and easier to drink. And I was thinking, like, huh, well that that's happening now. Uh, Again, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it is it kind of Maybe is that just a natural progression of kind of how people of of a developing market or a developing style where they like it, they just want it to be uh, maybe not that just maybe not as difficult to for everyone to enjoy. It needs to be kind of wider appeal and less challenging, less challenging. Um, and I think that certainly. Uh, ha- happened for the the hazy stuff, and I think you're right. Sweeter stuff is just not challenging. You don't have to. It's not a uh, an acquired taste. It's something that you're like, oh, I've been drinking mm-hmm. sweet stuff that tastes like juice since I was uh, a little kid drinking uh, this sweet uh, juice stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's also something to be said for the rapid ascent of the engineering of hops themselves, and how they're just hops that exist now that 
flavors that just could didn't exist then, right? Right, right. Or at least weren't valued, and then they were figured out we now know how to like recreate a lot of that and sure. accelerate the alpha acids and oil contents of all these hops to the point where well, technology, which yeah. plays a big part in the hist- in this book in right. the history. You know, the sure, sure. can you know there's a scene. Or a scene. There's a, a moment in the book. Called a scene. Cinematic. <laughs> I mean, I was envisioning scene. it where somebody book, holds up yeah. holds up a beer that's pale and says, "Can you make a beer this pale?" And yeah, yeah, right. the maltster said, uh, "Yeah, I can do that." Mm-hmm. But you know, it wouldn't have been possible not that much earlier than yeah. that. So Coke. again, you know, these pale ales would not have been possible before that. Right. Um, so maybe you can and make maybe, lighter flavors more easily with a with a light. And maybe there's a podcast back then talking about how you know the kids these days don't like their ashy, burnt up ales anymore. It's true, they want these pale ales. These kids, three curmudgeons getting yeah. together <laughs> at the pub talking about there's kids a, these days. There, yeah. there's, a, there's definitely a cyclical aspect to this, but I think it's also accelerating. Uh, and I think if you were to look back, even if you look, if you look back at kind of you know those those beautiful books of uh, the, the the craft beers of the Pacific Northwest, published 1998. <laughs> uh, if you look back at books like that, or even blogs, you know, Michael Jackson's old blog is still online somewhere. If you look back at to that period and and look for IPAs, they're kind of an orange marmalade colour. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was like 25 years ago. That's yeah. the colour that IPA was. Absolutely. And... Uh, a few years ago, I put a some 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 beer retailer asked me to put a, a for a recommendation to put into a a case a, a beer writer's case. It was asking twelve beer writers each to choose a beer, and I deliberately chose Worthington White Shield because I knew it would create a bit of consternation. <laughs> and some guy put a review of the case on the on social media and said Pete Brown doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, he calls this an IPA. Uh, but it's it's way too dark because it's kind of orangey coloured uh, and it's got bitterness in it. That's so, awesome. So it, it is just it, it does it does change, but it's not without precedent. Yeah, in the UK until recently, our our most our best selling beer was Green King IPA, mm-hmm. and and uh, British beer fans, real ale fans, or craft beer fans would would go apoplectic about Green King IPA. Because it was only three point eight eight three point six percent, and it has no discernible bitterness. I said that's not an IPA; it's a fraud. Because they're a big brewer, they call this beer an IPA, but it's not an IPA at all. Now, if you go into Green King's archive, uh, that beer was first brewed in nineteen twenty eight. The recipe mm-hmm. has hardly changed at all. In nineteen twenty eight, in Britain, an IPA was that color. It was that bitterness. It was that strength. Right. At that point in history, that's what the style was. And the style, I, I have done tastings where I do seven completely different beers and say at some point in history, each one of these was considered an authentic IPA. And and they're all totally different beers. Right, right. And that's, it, it's true for, I think, uh, I'll, I'll, probably most uh, historic styles or st- styles with a history to them rather than a historic Long style sounds yeah. like yeah something um it's died already yeah um and so let me ask you as like this romantic story about beer being um brewed for the uh india market um 
and and specifically the the Anglo Indian market. Um, now, do you uh, do you buy into the story that um, you know this beer just did become uh, uh, better uh, o- over time, or is there any specific reason that you think like the you know the the five hundred pound gorilla of beers at the time, which would be the London Porter, I would imagine. Um, you know why why those breweries didn't kind of jump on this and allowed people like Bass mm. to kind of transcend them because that's a fascinating yeah. story. It, it, it's an, it's it's that's possibly it, it, as beer writing became a bit more forensic and be, well, beer history became a bit more forensic uh and you know people like ron patterson martin cornell started to kind of really dig into the records that that's probably the most controversial area around this whole beer style because the narrative which you still see but which is it's kind of mostly discredited is that and I'll, I'll, I'll exaggerate it to prove a point, but Indipella was invented as a high alcohol, highly hopped beer to survive the sea journey to India, and it was the only one that did. Mm-hmm. None of that is really true, even though it did. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, I've seen the records in the Calcutta Gazette. Um, when Indipella arrived on the docks in Calcutta, it was there with London Porter, it was there with cider, uh, it was there with small beer. So beers beers of two three percent ABV were surviving that journey just fine. So so that's not why IPA became such an iconic beer. But we have to remember that it did become such an iconic beer. So if that's not the reason why, what is the reason why? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and and for me, it's you know so so people like Ron and Martin have have brought up the records to prove that low-strength, less aggressively hopped beers survived that journey fine and were sold in India, and, and that's irrefutable. So why are they not as famous mm-hmm. as, as highly hopped, stronger IPAs? And, and that's where I kind of went into the culture a lot more and into contemporary accounts of people drinking in India. And there was a period of about 50 years where India was kind of Britain's version of the Wild West, um, people who people who um, would have had mediocre careers in Britain went to India and became immensely rich by exploiting uh, the indigenous population uh, and lived like kings and princes uh, and, and so on. And and they had a culture of strong, heavy drinking. Um, mm-hmm. and they got absolutely wankered every single night. Uh, and so they needed strong drinks. The other aspect of this is people talk about the difference between the the, the civilian population and the and the military. Uh, when the military were out there, you, you had um, short periods of intense violence punctuating long periods of incredible boredom. And in the long periods of incredible boredom, they drank strong drink. And if they drank the local strong drink, Arak, they died yeah. within three months. Yeah, you said three months was the average life expectancy of the somebody. The average life expectancy of a soldier. Unbelievable. So you needed a strong beer that would get people really drunk but not kill them. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> the fine line we all walk as brewers. Right, right. Yeah. No. Well, it's not killing within three months. Yes. No, you got to make them. This gotta... one kills you in four months. <laughs> the best yeah. selling beer in there India. There you go. That's a third better. Um, it did make me want to try Iraq. I'm like, three months? I bet I could last four. <laughs> I get some Iraq. It did not. It made me want to Coward. never try that stuff. Um, yeah, it's interesting. And, and also, um, the story of uh, of big business being yeah. behind this from the the get go. I mean, I think there were some people who um, understood that there was a, a market out there, and that maybe the economics of of getting stuff out there cheaply made sense. Um, but then. You know, uh, big business kind of stepped in and said, uh, "Okay, well, we'll take it from here." And and That's I don't even mean that with big, of all time. yeah, big brewers, but like how the yeah the 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 East India Company, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah how how they were just instrumental in in Burton Ale making it to and Burton IPA making it to to India. Um, it is interesting, though, Pete. Like, what do you... There were other beers that made it there. There were other beers that were drank in India. Do you think it was the romance, even contemporarily, of this exotically named beer, this India pale ale? Just kind of like now we talk about how there's this Czech dark lager that's kind of seeing a moment, a mini moment here in the United States, and and we're trying to wonder why is it the romanticism of like oh this is a this is what the Odyssey. people yeah the Czech people drink or something I don't know what do you yeah, there are, there are two parts to that actually um, the first part is that when it became famous when it became beloved in India it wasn't called India Pale Ale it, it was just called Pale Ale mm-hmm. it was Hodgson's Pale Ale or Alsop's Pale Ale or Bass Pale Ale. Um, India Pale Ale was a marketing term that arrived once uh, in so the 1820s when people who'd made their fortunes in India and not died from drinking Iraq came back to England and never had to work again. And and brewers, the Burton brewers, kept some in, some pale ale back and they started calling it India Pale Ale, even though it had never been there. Um, and, and, and so that's where it took on its... Uh, that's where the name came from and, and where the romance that you're talking about came from. But by that point, before that ever happened, it was already the most beloved romantic drink in India. And I honestly think it brings us back to where we started. I think there's something, having done it, having done the journey with the beer for, for most of the journey, <laughs> um, I, I, I just think there's something about that particular beer that when it arrived, other beers were good. Porter was fine, small beer was fine, cider was fine, but there's something about that beer at the end of the journey that when it got there, people just went, that's the that's it. That's the thing. That's that's what I that's what that's the taste of it for me. And when they got back home, they were like, Yeah, I can get Porter, yeah, I can get this, that, and the other, but but that's the taste that I miss. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I, that's pure speculation. Mm-hmm. But 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 my my beer when it got to India tasted like a cross between a modern IPA and a really good barley wine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I served it to some Indian businessmen, and one of them said, why are you trying to trick us? This is not beer, this is wine. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and he stormed off, and then he came back five minutes later and said, can I have some more? <laughs> so so, so there was, there's just something about that particular beer style that on that particular journey, the way it matured just made a more pleasing drink than than, than the other ones did. Mm-hmm. And, and I've got nothing to back that up with. That's just my hypothesis. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that's... I mean, this show's all about hot takes. That's what we like. <laughs> we like just... <laughs> That's what, that's what we're known for. I, I wonder, like, just to, to build on that, like, now that we've pulled all the color out of these things because of, quote-unquote, shelf life, right? Like, and, uh, and here we're like, oh, it oxidizes faster. It turns into cardboard faster. I'm not sure I believe but, that. That, that. That's why it's done. But uh, It's part of the reason for sure, but I wonder if it's just not long enough, right? If, we're, if it gets to a point where it's at an age where you wouldn't be drinking it yet because it was be, you would be halfway through your journey... And you're like, oh, yeah, that's mm. probably not great. But when you get all the way there and it gets a little bit more maybe beat up with the weather and the sloshing, that it's the oxidation actually becomes something like like you talk about in Madeira or port or something where it's beneficial to the flavor because it's done something that you would never reasonably do to it. I think um, the Sierra Nevada Celebration IPA is one of those beers that, for whatever reason, it shouldn't age well. It shouldn't be aged but you go to, you know, place here in Chicago like Delilah's where there's a psycho owning it. And I mean that in the best sense. <laughs> the best type of psycho. Where he'll like just be like, yeah, they say there isn't. You shouldn't. But what if you do? And then he has like, you know, 10 years of, of celebration and, you know, and, and 10 years of all sorts of stuff. But he's like, let's just try it with this beer. And, well, we, and it worked. Well, when you do that with those, there's certainly ones where it's like, oh, it's just straight there's a, a linear or sure. exponential line of it's dying right and there's some things where it's like yeah it's getting a little worse oh it's getting and it's kind of right oh it's getting yeah. better again this right. is weird yeah um so do you guys know do you guys know fuller's vintage ale yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so so that's never been described as an ipa it, i guess stylistically it would always if it was entered into competition it would be a barley wine mm-hmm. but but to me when it's fresh uh each year it, it, it's an ipa it, mm-hmm. It's it's really heavily opt. It, it, it reminds me of the IPAs from from back in the day that we're talking about, and and, and this is exactly this is exactly what what you just said. Um, so they now have uh, twenty uh, seven years of vintages of Fuller's Vintage Ale, and in my <clears throat> well, I, three times over those twenty seven years, I've been invited to a vertical tasting of these beers. Wow. And this is exactly what you find. So in maybe in 2012, the 2004 beer tastes stale and old and spent. And maybe in 2016, that same 2004 beer tastes fresh and vibrant. Um, so so it, it is a kind of sign curve of aging. And what the sea journey does is that it, it accelerates that aging process. Mm-hmm. Um, so the beer that I tasted in India after three months, was tasting pretty good. Um, the same beer back in London, uh, someone else did tasting notes on it, tasted uh, still a bit raw, a bit spiky, a bit green. And then when I tasted a cask of it that had been kept back in London a year later, it tasted like the beer that I tasted in India after three months. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there, there are different components to that journey. There's the temperature change, the fluctuations, the extremes of temperature, you know, the constant movement of the beer, the liquid's always moving around. So, you know, if you've got some liquid that's right next to the walls of the of the wooden cask, 
it's never there for very long. It's mm-hmm. always moving around. So the aging process is, is, is happening differently. Lots of other things that we don't even know about, but sure. you know, there's, this for me is what keeps brewing interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and if anything else, I mean, it is still, I think the most romanticized beer to, to this day. Um, uh, it's a shame that it no longer stands for India Pale Ale, but uh, uh, you know, BJCB can kick rocks. For <laughs> it still stands for India Pale Ale. But a bunch yeah. of homebrew nerds can't tell us what the IPA stands for. Right. It's uh, no. I mean, there is something special about that that journey. Um, that even something like Porter, which has a pretty amazing history to it, and there's a lot of mystery to it. And and you know those those giant vats and mm-hmm. and almost a solero like thing. I mean, there's a lot to it, but it just doesn't kind of capture people's um, imagination uh, like it used to. And I think there's a, a bunch of reasons. Even if the IPAs of today taste nothing like what they used to, they have all these crazy flavors like you were first experiencing at GABF in you know the mid 2000s Pete so when you take someone and say this beer was brewed to go you know around the horn of Africa and into the India uh, into the India market and they brewed it stronger and hoppier and this is what it tastes like and then they have it and they're like oh my gosh this stuff is great I love these flavors um you know I mean what what a great story and who cares if it's like piecemealed together from like bits and and, and of, of truth? Um, I mean, if that gets somebody, uh, if it's directionally right and it's based on that, even if there's you know many fits and starts to it, and it gets somebody kind of excited about it and the history of it a little bit, maybe. Um, I mean, it worked for me. I don't sure. know. Here I am. Uh, maybe I should now like go cry in a corner and say, I wish I'd never heard of India pale ale, but um, I think it's a good thing, you know? But, but how come this is the, how come it's the style that even as it changes, I've, I've been around the block a few times now, but as I've watched the American inspired craft beer movement go around the world, whatever incarnation India pale ale happens to be in at that time, it's the beer style everyone wants. Whether yeah. you're in Singapore or London or Sydney or Hong Kong or you name it, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think it is? I, I, I just think there's something. I think I think it's the I think it's the madness of hops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, 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 I I talk quite a lot about um, how um, uh, I know a lot of brewers with tattoos of their favorite favorite hop varieties. I don't know a single butcher with a tattoo of his favorite cut of meat or a single mm-hmm. cheesemonger with a tattoo of their favorite style of cheese. There's something about hops that just gets under people's skin in a, in a, in a literal way, but in, mm-hmm. you know, obviously in a, in a metaphorical right. way. Um, and those flavors just excite people. Uh, whether you encounter them balanced by moderate bitterness and a multi backbone, or whether you encounter them uh, excessively sweet uh, with, with nothing else going on, <laughs> there's, a, there's a, a group of people who who just taste that and go, "Wow, that is that is just." And, and I was the same when I first tasted American style IPA in uh, with, with Northwest American hops in 2004. It was like. It was like the scales falling from my eyes. It was just, 
whoa, this is what I'm now going to do because this flavour is is just incredible. And and so I guess that's the one thing that IPA still has that it's always defined by the uh, by the presence of these these hot flavours. Um, and and it, it's and, and that coupled with the romance of the origin story uh, just makes it something that's bigger than than much of the stuff in beer. Yeah. Well, I think that's uh, a, a a pretty good summation of uh, yeah of, of IPA, and I, I think certainly the story is uh, it's fascinating. Uh, I I love kind of uh, reading about your uh, trials and and plenty of tribulation <laughs> as well. There's yeah. at least one part when something was laid <laughs> in a certain direction, uh, and I was like. <laughs> I was literally angry at you. I was like, what is this, <laughs> stupid? Why would you set it that way? You know? yeah, <laughs> now the book's yeah. ruined. <laughs> and uh, Well, when you were describing the, the smell of this, this situation, yeah. I was like, oh, no, I know exactly what happened already. <laughs> yes, right? Yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. From but having done great. some similar things myself in breweries. but <laughs> Of course, of course. Uh, and I do. And I, I was a novice when I did this, you know. When, when I went yeah. to see my beer being brewed, uh, that I was going to take on the journey. That was the first brew day I'd ever done. Mm-hmm. It was the first time I'd smelt hops being put into uh, a kettle. It was the first time I'd ever cleaned out a mash tun. Um, and the sensory uh, nature of brewing that was completely new to me. So I made a lot of mistakes because I, I was not an expert. Yeah. Uh, and it's also there's no way to learn no better way to learn than there is by making mistakes. Yeah. And it's also just a it's it's refreshing that it started out as as this like romantic thing and then just seeing uh you know the as I mentioned kind of the unromantic elements of it and also uh I think that tracked I don't know if this was your intent but it 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 tracked you know, the actual history of it. It wasn't like, you know, somebody tasted it in India and, uh, and said, oh my goodness, this is perfect for our climate and, and, and there are stories like it and this is the beer that I must have. Um, it, it was much more uh, real and, and unromantic than that, but yet a better actual story. And I think that's mm-hmm. the same with kind of both elements, the the modern and the historical was uh, it was, you know, when I say unromantic, I don't mean that there wasn't any like, I mean, you were on a, you were on a tall shit, man, going across right. the Atlantic. I mean, of course that there's going to be romantic parts to that, but it wasn't this, it wasn't a fairy tale of, of a journey. It was very real yeah. and uh, it made it so much more interesting. I feel there's one moment that I, I stuck in my brain very deeply where I think you're about to get to Brazil, but you still haven't sorted out your visa. Uh, Ugh, me too, and, man. And, uh, Barry had, uh, you know, done his thing. Yeah. And you're like, I've committed all this time and also for something so frivolous and silly. And like, it's only gonna be five beer nerds with blogs that care. And I felt that deep in my bones as someone who runs a very <laughs> small brewery that only five beer nerds care about and dedicate myself to. But I'm like, man, this guy gets it. Yeah, these yeah. beers for real. <laughs> right. And that was like a very I true just, human moment. I think there's something about storytelling. There's something about storytelling which I've 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 upset some people with because they don't realize this. But um, 
in order to get the highs, you have to put the lows in. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You know, and I, I think if you watch a film, and, and, you know, if you watch any Hollywood movie, the character is just at their lowest point just before their greatest victory. Mm-hmm. The, the, this is the arc of storytelling. And so while, while the book is very honest, I was writing it in a way where I was hoping... I'd, I'd, I'd been reading a lot of Stephen King at the mm-hmm. time, and Stephen King's a total influence on the narrative structure of that book. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so while I haven't made anything up or exaggerated anything or changed the order of anything, I've used, I've used the structure of highs and lows mm-hmm. to, to, to take the reader on this... On this, on this, I, I hate to say the word, but on this journey, you mm-hmm. know? right, right, um, and it, and the fact is that the 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 tall ship, the tall ship was possibly the the best three weeks of my life. Yeah, you say that at one point. Just waking, well, being on the front of the ship at dawn, and you watch the sun come up over the ocean, and you don't know. You, you think the, the the forty people on the ship. There's no one else within 2,000 miles of us. Oh, and here come some dolphins just as the sun's coming up over the ocean and the dolphins want to play with us. And and you've got that. And it's like, and then that night I was half considering taking my own life, you know? Yeah, it, it's, yeah. Like, it, it's, it's like, it's you, like, you don't get one without the other. Right, and, right. And, it, and it, 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 it just adds an emotional weight to, to storytelling. And, 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 and that to me is... I hate to say this on this podcast, but the emotional way to storytelling is more important to me than the characteristics of different hop varieties. Oh, so, sure. don't, I, mean, I, I, I mean, I think that's like the perfect answer to the original thing we started talking about, right? Why this is such a more interesting beer book than most beer books, because they're about here's the history of what happened or here's how you make this thing taste this way. And this is about here's what it feels like and here's what it's like to be a human being moving through the world that it happens to interact with beer. Um and yeah. makes it even more enjoyable and makes you engage with the all those other parts, the history and the technical mm-hmm. parts of it more. Yeah, yeah. And um yeah, I mean and and for those out there who've read the uh the Bourbon County what's the uh Barrel H Stoughton selling out by mm-hmm. Josh Noel, if that kind of storytelling uh intrigued you, I think then you'll love you'll this love this, this you'll beer uh book. You'll this beer book. <laughs> you'll you'll really this book that uh, really love beer. Yeah. yeah. Um and it did get me, you know, uh, Europa came to Chicago, uh, believe it or not. Oh. It made it to uh, Michigan, Lake Michigan, mm-hmm. to Ch- literally was in Chicago. I guess it went through, you know, the, Erie, the Hudson. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But yeah, I, I was on there. And I got some, uh, yeah, I got some stickers from it. And I oh, keep wow. them. I keep them in the book. Uh, and I met, I forget who, but I, but some of the people in your book were, were still there and I could just tell by your, yeah. So it was kind of cool just to, just to see it. And, and for it also, it's one of the things that you mentioned where you're like, wow, it's this, it's this amazing, uh, boat. And I got to, you know, go up onto it and kind of walk around in a touristy way. And one of the things you, you mentioned was, uh, uh, this, I mean, it's a big boat, but it doesn't seem that big. And I and I remember you saying the same thing. I was like, "Oh my gosh, this thing like goes all over the world and like yeah. on sales." Mm-hmm. And it's like, "Oh my it's gosh, Chicago! It's not so big when you're in the middle when you're at the equator in the middle of the Atlantic." Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. I was like, like "Yeah, it's head. big, but I don't know if I'd want to." But it it 
it, yeah, it sounded, uh, it was, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool to kind of, uh, be on the boat. And, uh, again, I mean, I would never have known. I mean, that boat could have come to Chicago 10 times over. I would have never known, but my better half, she knows about these things. And she was like, Europa, isn't that the book? Isn't that the, the mm. ship from the book? And I was like, I don't know, maybe. And she looked, no, she, it is, it is. We should go see it. And I was like, okay, yeah, let's go see it. So big That's up cool. to, uh, yeah, to, to, to Margaret for, for that one. Um, anything before we, uh, finish up here, Mike, that you wanted to, Talk about Pete. Okay. Do you want to tell us a little bit about any other books you've written, or any anywhere people can find more information about you and your writing? Oh, so I'm on I'm on uh, PeteBrown.net. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I have an annoying habit of writing books that don't um, travel well outside the UK. So I've had two of my books published in the United States. Uh, the rest of them are available there on on Amazon and that kind of thing. Um, but I'm still writing, and my next idea slightly revisits some of the themes in Hops and Glory, and I'm hoping to start that in the next few weeks. Oh. Taking Hazy IPA to India. Yes. <laughs> exactly. And at the end, it was rubbish, and that's just the end of the book. Yeah, right. No. It's rubbish all along. We're going to New England. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're taking yeah, New England IPA to New England. Yeah, with the pilgrim. I'll dress like a pilgrim. <laughs> um, There's some great things to come out of New England. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love the clam chowder. <laughs> A uh, whole bunch of stuff. Um, the New England cider scene is really exciting. Absolutely, yeah, it absolutely yeah. is. I was just having some uh, Colorado, Farnham. No, but Farnham Hill. Oh yeah, yeah. So, oh yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, amazing great. stuff. Yeah. Um, well, uh, thank you very much, uh, Pete Brown. The book is Hops and Glory: One Man's Search for the Beer That Built the British Empire. And uh, if you have well, we have a couple of copies at the store if you want to come by and pick one up. I, it is not um, distributed by any U.S. publisher, but you can find it pretty easily yeah. uh, on Amazon and, and, and stuff like that. It's not too hard. It's actually probably my, even though it didn't get an American distributor, it's probably my most, it's probably become recognized for the most in North America. Okay. So do find their way over there. Yeah. And uh, if you have any questions for us or... You would like us to pass along to Pete, although you can just go to PeteBrown.net, probably be the easiest way. But you can shoot us an email about anything. Uh, if there's another book that you think that we should include in this series, uh, you know, give us about a year or two or three, and we'll, we'll get to it. <laughs> we'll get to it. And, uh, but, but that's at insiders at craftbeertemple.com. And then uh, I don't know what we have queued up for next week. I should probably know that. I have to look at the spreadsheet. I it's don't know okay. either. <laughs> it's fine. But, Pete, thank you so much. And to everyone out there listening, uh, thank you as well. And I'm going to see if I can end this cleanly. I took some time so I could fix it. Uh, so long. Remember this is what we wanted. Remember this is what we said. To never be heard a scene from again, 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 again. Remember this is what we wanted. Remember this is what we said. Never be heard seen from again, 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 again. Remember this is what we wanted. Remember this is what we said. To never be heard.